Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts. Psalm 119.2 Of course you all know, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read it for the sake of the stream, that early Tuesday morning, August the 15th, our dear Donna Luke went home to be with the Lord. Keep Pastor and the family in your prayers at this difficult time. Arrangements are as follows. Visitation at Muir Funeral Home in Lapeer today, noon until 3 p.m., and then 5 till 7 this evening. The funeral is Monday morning at 11 a.m. at the Hunters Creek Church. Instead of flowers, our church is purchasing a decorative tree in memory, in her memory, for the family. If you'd like to help, with this, please she, see Sheila. Of course, no evening service tonight. Um, studies in the confession, 9.30, the adult class. Uh, men's Bible study, you gonna do that this week, George? Sure. Okay, men's Bible study uh, at the McLeods, 10 a.m. Tuesday. Prayer meeting Wednesday at seven. And you'll see the note there on the church directory. Also, if you're interested, new acts and facts are here for August. Anything I've missed this morning? I'll direct you to the scripture for meditation. That is Esther, chapter 4, read verses 1 through 17.
Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless our service. Dale, can I ask you again this morning? Sure. Thanks. Remain standing. I'd like to have you turn in your hymnal this morning uh, to 497, Near to the Heart of God. Good prayer for all of us. of quiet rest near to the heart of God a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God oh Jesus blessed Redeemer sent from the heart of of comfort sweet near to the heart of God a place where we our Savior meet near to the heart of God oh Jesus blessed Redeemer sent from the heart of God us who wait before thee near to the heart of God there is a place of full release near to the heart of God a place 
where all is joy and peace, near to the heart of God. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, near to the heart of God. Hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. It is uh, quite a prayer, isn't it? Uh, what do we have next? Sit down Please be seated. Oh, okay. We got a. Oh, oh, I see that hand. Is that a repentance or? <laughs> what do you, What do you got? Yeah, you me. Four ninety four. Four ninety four in the uh, the brown. Okay, four ninety four. Ah, uh, this is a good tune. Like a river glorious in God's perfect peace, over all victorious in his bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day, perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, reigning in his promise, perfect peace and rest. Blessed hand, never foe can follow, never trial stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly, find Him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Amen. Uh.
singing. Our scripture reading is Psalm 119, and we'll be reading 1 through 16. Stand with us, we'll read together. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will, abort, uh, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Um, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that you come from. Your, pardon me, I'll read that verse again. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Ask that the Lord bless his word. Thank you. Please be seated. I requested this song uh, the other night when I was talking with Claire May. This is a song that has brought great comfort in my heart personally. I actually knew the grandson of the fellow who wrote this work. And so I got a chance to talk to him about it and he was telling me how much he enjoyed it when I was down in seminary as uh, learning as a child, you know, that his grandfather had written uh, the words in the, uh, to this song and how much it meant to him. Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary 
to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, and we made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Amen. Good singing this morning. Yes, if you're a little warm, you're more than welcome to take your coat off. I don't know how to turn the air on, if it is on or isn't on, but if anybody does, they're welcome to. Uh, ah, I see that, that high-tech man coming. It's a good thing we got somebody in this church with brains. While he's uh, doing that, turn to Esther chapter 4. This morning's message is entitled, For Such a Time as This. And uh, I struggled all week with 
not knowing what I wanted to preach on, but how I was going to lay it out, how I was going to formulate the thoughts that I wanted to try to get across. And I finished the message, and I still don't know if I'm really able to uh, make what's being declared simple enough uh, on my part to uh, be able to discuss it with you fully, but it's my prayer that we'll understand what it is about. In this particular uh, portion of scripture, I think we all know kind of the story of uh, Esther, who was um, Mordecai's uh, niece. Uh, Mordecai had a brother, and his little girl uh, came to stay with him because his her mom and dad had died. And uh, we don't have a lot of uh, uh, information as to what's going on there. But anyhow, um, if you'd look at Esther, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, this will be the uh, basic part of our message today. Uh, were you supposed to read that, uh, Yeah. Oh, that that lady that does the bulletins messed it up again, huh? No. No. It was the it was the scripture presentation. Okay. Well, that's okay. We've looked at this once already. Thank you, brother. You have a good heart. You're always ready to serve, and we appreciate that. Sermon text today, uh, ten through seventeen. Then Esther spoke to Hathath. Hathok, and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death, except the one to whom he, the king holds out a golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these, uh, these 30 days. Verse 12, so they told, Mordecai's, uh, they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. And fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My mind, uh, rather my maids and I, will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which act is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. May God richly bless that aspect of his word today. And let's begin our thoughts with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do beseech you, Lord, 
we beg a presence with you today. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work among us, those that are here. Uh, Father, we pray that your words would not fall on deaf ears, but they would fall on ears who are eager to hear your word and eager to do your will. Father, we pray now thy blessing on our time together in your house, attempting, Lord, to bring honor and praise to your name. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. By way of introduction this morning, we are going to look at our eternal calling in Christ Jesus, our Savior. In a way, I suppose you could call this uh, a message on the providence of God. By the way, the word providence is not found in Scripture anywhere. If you break it down, you see that it's actually talking about providence. It's providence, and it's like the term trinity. Uh, trinity. Uh, you cannot find it anywhere in Scripture. Uh, the word Trinity isn't there, but the, the, the fact of the Trinity is taught place after place after place. The scripture is filled with it. And uh, we cannot uh, deny the fact that the triune God created. The, the name of God that is used in Genesis 1 there, where it says, in the beginning... Uh, was uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that name, Elohim, is actually plural. And so it is actually saying that the gods, and of course we know that uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and we also know there is God the Holy Spirit. And their, their understanding of their, their uh, position and their, their ministry to us is uh, stated in such a way as we see them as having this divine trilogy uh, in their work upon us. It's called God's economy. But the reality of it is that he is one God. The Lord our God is one God, according to uh, what God declared to Moses. And he says, O Israel. And uh, we understand that we only have one God. And so when we understand what the name of God means and the uh, people that uh, uh, use that name as we do, uh, we are not praying to many gods, but we're praying to one God. And that God is viewed then in these three aspects of his cre uh, creation or his, his being, I should say, not his creation. So this morning, as we begin to look at this, <clears throat> again, I want you to know we're looking at our eternal calling in Christ Jesus, our Savior. The providence of God begins before creation. Amen. And the providence of God will continue throughout eternity. Because we'll be living in a place that God has provided for us to be there with him. That was the plan from the very beginning. Yet isn't it interesting that there's really no word that we can uh, come up with, either in the Greek or the Hebrew, that declares that this plan of God, this decree of God, uh, 
is ever stated in such a word as the word that we use called providence. Now, as children of Jehovah God, the Almighty, we have been given a unique and blessed perspective of the purpose of living life. Of course, we are take, talking about li, uh, life in the sense of our existence, but what is more, as saints of God, we have been given God life or spiritual life or eternal life. These three are not different kinds of life, it's one life. But in order to understand it, we have to break it down into these three aspects. God life, which we receive when we receive Jesus Christ as our savior. Spiritual life, life that comes from God, that is given to his son Jesus Christ, who then gives that spiritual life to us. It's life from above or eternal life. The Greek word is zoe, which is life from God or life from above. As it relates to our relationship, service, and worship of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah or the Christ of God. So we have these ideas wrapped up in this, this concept of God's eternal providence toward us that his, his uh, salvation establishes a relationship. It gives us the purpose for why we serve him in this life. And it also is the basis upon which we worship Jesus Christ. You hear much today of people talking about their worship of, of uh, Christ or God and why they go to church and what it means to them and so on and so forth. And their idea of worship has become more pagan than it has Christian because they are basically talking about the fact that they can go to church and worship Jesus and have fun. Now, that ought to scare you because worshiping God should be a great delight and a wonder and an awesome thing to think about but I wouldn't call it fun. I think that that's a, a bit far stretch to cry, try to say that the worship of God is supposed to be fun. So just something to think about there. Notice what the Apostle Paul said about our standing or spiritual position for all those who are in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, the scripture says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, excuse me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, interesting thought there, isn't it? Have put on Christ. We wear Christ like a garment. He covers us completely. And that the coverage part is what we are trying to stress here. Uh, when you talk about the atonement, it's just not a sacrifice and a, the uh, offering of blood that does something. It covers our sin. In other words, it pays for it totally. So the coverage is not just that we've been washed in the blood. It's that we've been washed in the blood and we no longer are a slave to sin. 
another expression that we see in the New Testament is that we have been crucified with Christ. And that idea there is the fact that we relate to the fact that as Christ was crucified on the cross, we too see ourselves in the position of standing before him. And as he was crucified, so we become crucified. Therefore, we are no longer alive to living like we always did, but we are dead to sin, and we're not supposed to live any longer therein. And if you're not able to say that I am truly crucified with Christ, then there's that possibility you're leaving room for I can do whatever I want to do. And this is where all the argument comes from the concept, the wrong concept of once saved, always saved. When you talk about the perseverance of the saints and you talk about the reality that individuals can be saved and then live like hell, that is not found in the scriptures. We are not supposed to live that way, think that way. We're not even supposed to eat that way. We're supposed to be different because that is what God has wanted for us. So as we look at these concepts today, I think that you will find uh, that my message is based on the, the fact of uh, we need to be looking at our ministry, our life, and our worship of Christ in a different way. And I think that it relates well to the story of Esther. When she proclaimed for such a time as this, or I should say Mordecai said that to her for such a time as this, uh, who knows that you may have been called to the kingdom for this very purpose. Do we see our lives fulfilling a purpose for God? I know that we think that God has a purpose for us being here. But unfortunately, uh, we have an occasion to think that it's more of just our own life that we're dealing with rather than our life in Jesus Christ. So today's message will re revolve around the situation and circumstance of Queen Esther and her boldness to live for Jehovah, the God of her Hebrew faith. Here is a more modern translation of today's text in Esther. Esther 4.14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, when her Jewish heritage was going to be slaughtered, okay? If you keep quiet at a time like this, God will deliver the Jews from some other source or in some other way. But you and your relatives will die or be slaughtered and your name will be wiped out. What is more, who can say but that God has brought you into the palace for just such a time as this? And that's the New Living uh, Bible. So as you can see from the reading of this scriptural text, Queen Esther was faced with a great dilemma concerning her own life one which could have meant the loss of thousands of her own people's lives. And however we look at Queen Esther uh, takes the advice of Mordecai and considers her spiritual calling in Jesus Christ as a child of God. Excuse me while I flip my sermon. Then knowing Jehovah's eternal purposes for her life, 
She chooses to confront the king, even though it might mean her own death. And uh, it is this eternal perspective of life in Christ that we desire to make known to you today. My first point would be what I call the road ahead. Uh, we can't really look back in the sense that there's no, there's no way that we can have a different starting point than the one that you're at right now today. If you're going to live differently for Christ, and I think all of us could relate to that reality, that we have to begin today. Not yesterday, not last month, not last year, but we have to begin today. So, in that thinking, I'm talking about the road ahead. Many years ago, while watching the History Channel uh, documentation on Colonel George Patton, the Lord began to formulate a belief of God's purpose for my own life and faith as a believer. You can see uh, Colonel Patton was what I would call a fatalist, someone who believed he would not die in battle. His belief was so strong that he defied death many times as a soldier. There's a record of him standing up in his open car, you know, kind of what we call a convertible, I guess. And he's standing while these planes are shooting at him, you know, and they're going down the highway. And it's just like he's, he's saying, go ahead, you can't kill me. And uh, he went through that whole thing, the bullets all missed, and he kept going on. But it wasn't once or twice, it was thousands of times that he was living that way in his life. Now, don't ask me how he became, uh, became a fatalist and why he had such a belief that God would not kill him until the purposes for his life were finished. But that's what he believed. Now, I'm not talking about you becoming a fatalist. Uh, Paul also believed that God had a purpose for his life. But he didn't try to put himself in harm's way. I mean, he was smart enough that he uh, tried to hide in a basket so they could let him down a wall so he could go to another town and preach the gospel. That's not being a fatalist. And uh, as we look at this today, I'm simply using George Patton as a, a concept of what the world thinks of uh, the idea of God being in control of their life. That's not what we as Christians believe, and it's not what we think. Well, I am not talking about fatalism today, but a sure and certain knowledge that God has a purpose for my life as declared in Scripture. Time and time again, we find where the Scriptures talk about the fact that each one of us, each and every one of us, God has called to his kingdom for a purpose. And we have to begin to think in terms of for such a time as this. Even as Esther was faced with it, so I hope today you are faced with that same thought. That for such a time as this, God has called us to his kingdom. And you're probably saying, well, yeah, but I'm, you know, all the Christians aren't going to die. And uh, what can I do? And 
you know, the, the various things that you might equate to what the story of Esther is about. That's not what I'm talking about. Forget about what other people have gone through. You need to learn from them, and we're going to use those examples this morning in several places. But it's only a stepping stone to our own lives. We have to come to grips with the fact that God is working in us for his purposes. How many believe that? Amen. How many believe that God is working in your life and in your heart for his purposes? Well, that is the kind of strength of faith that we all need to have. It's amazing. The only record we have to draw from is the biblical record with regard to how Jehovah God has dealt with the lives of saints uh, of, of those in years uh, past. We often see small glimpses of God's sovereign will concerning his purposes for each and every one, uh, each and every one of, of his children. We all have a common calling, a common hope, and a, a common promise in Christ Jesus. And I think that that's probably where we fail uh, to really grasp the truth of what I'm talking about this morning. It's not a special calling to Paul. It's not a special calling to Abraham and a special calling to Peter, but it is a common call. There is no difference between their salvation and yours. If you're saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not different, folks. We need to see ourselves as being the same in strength, ability, and purpose as what all of God's children have been through uh, the centuries of uh, the historical record of Scripture. We say that, that they had these things promised to them, but we are different. And I think that's what's created what I call a, a do-nothing Christianity in our day. We say they had the calling of God upon them. And there is a certain aspect that there's specifically being called for God's purposes. But there is, in that common call that he gives to all of us, a unique relationship and strength that we find in Christ, that that is where we need to live. That is the place where we need to dwell and we need to exist and we need to live our life so that it reflects who Christ is. So I would encourage your heart not to say, well, they had this and we don't. Because they is never qualified. We are they. They are us and we are them. Our calling in Christ is unique to what it means to be a child of God. And so I encourage your hearts with that this morning. As saints, we do not attribute his eternal work of saving grace to all those whom Jehovah God has eternally called to redemption. Hear what God's word declares. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, 
that we, through the patience and comfort of the Spirit, might have hope. I like that. I like that. All those things were done for you and me. For our understanding of what it means to be a child of God. We often declare that the promises of God are sure and certain. But we attribute the promises of God to apply to others. Someone other than me. Well, he has God's promise on him. And when it comes to our life and the way we live and the kind of of dedication, the kind of devotion, and the kind of certainty that we live our life with, we think that, well, that's somebody else. That's not me. Now, how do you do that? How do you change that dynamic in our Christianity? How do you leave Christ out of it and say, well, I'm living a Christian life that I understand and that I choose to do, but the rest of it is for somebody else. It's not for somebody else. It's for you and me. It's for us. We are all the children of God if indeed Christ Jesus is our Savior. Amen? Okay, first, let us look at the life of the Apostle Paul and his calling to serve Christ. The Apostle Paul was told by the Lord that he had a predetermined purpose of his destiny at the time of his conversion. Our God used Ananias as his spokesperson to announce this message of of purpose to Paul, excuse me, to Saul of Tarsus. Later he became a Paul, who was later... uh, uh, who later oh excuse me not late hate who was a hate filled killer of those of the Christian faith if I could read my own writing it would help yes amen Acts chapter 9 verses 15 through 16 but the Lord said to him Ananias go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, if God was to speak to you and say, uh, I want to show you how many things you're going to suffer for my name's sake, would you welcome that as a message from God? How many things you're going to suffer. That doesn't even sound like fun. In fact, that sounds like it could hurt. Maybe more than just a little. It might even hurt a lot. And you read about Paul, how he was beaten three times and stoned and uh, how he was left for dead and how He was able to be raised up from those kinds of situations, and God continued to use him. And he wasn't dying. God was keeping him going. Wow. Second, let us observe the eternal call or purpose and destiny of Noah. In Genesis 5, verse 28 through 32, it says, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, 
This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which Jehovah has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, 777, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those of you who are students of scripture will note that this is the first place where his sons are named. But it was Japheth, Shem, and uh, Ham. Japheth was born first, then Shem, and then Ham. But God, in grace, chose Seth, uh, um, Shem over Ham and Japheth, and the spiritual blessing of God was upon uh, his second-born son, just like Esau and Jacob. And there are many other positions where it's shown this way in the scriptures of children who are born, and the second one receives God's blessing and grace, and the first one doesn't. That demonstrates what grace really means. That demonstrates how we are chosen, not because of our good looks, or not because of our good deeds, or not because we have a heart to serve others, but because God is gracious to save those who are sinners. And that's us. That's who we are. As my granddaughter, great-granddaughter, I should say, would say, that's what I do. I sin. So therefore, I am a sinner. Now, Noah is very unique, uh, a very unique individual in human history because he is the bridge between the, the world that was the first creation and our present earthly home, even at a time of his birth, Noah became the hope of the future for the redeemed and mankind in general. Do you think that uh, Lamech really understood uh, what was being declared about Noah? How Noah was going to be the hope of the future for mankind? I think that he may have had some sense of that, but I don't think that he understood the total ramifications of what Noah was going to do. There are three people in the Bible who are listed as being righteous men. Noah, Job, and Daniel. But it says in Ezekiel that not even their righteousness would keep them from dying, nor would it add anything to their family. Now that's amazing. God imparts to us his righteousness. That is the basis of our life. That is the basis of our faith and our belief. Good stuff. Now, we understand that uh, Noah became the hope of the future for the redeemed and mankind in general. Noah was the first modern farmer, and he invented the plow to break up the soil using irrigation and planting specific crops on a plot of land. 
just like what we do today. You ever been out and seen the cornfield? They're not just going out and picking corn where it grows in a wild fashion. They plant the whole field in corn, or they plant the whole field in sugar beets, or they plant the whole field in wheat. Well, guess who did that? Noah. Noah did that. His teaching from God, his insight and his understanding of what the needs of the world would be, he taught us how to be true farmers. He planted a vineyard. He found wild grapes and he cultured them. He made it into a vineyard where you had nothing but grapes. And it was much more productive and much more efficient at growing grapes than just hoping you could walk through the woods and find some here and there. So we have a lot that we can give credit to as far as Noah is concerned. His was the single most important contribution to all of humanity, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Noah, we would be hunters and gatherers. We would be like the Indians, uh, American Indians, I guess you could say, or you know, the South American Indians or any place where all they do is hunt for food when they need it and they gather what they can find in the, you know, on the uh, forest floor or wherever they might be, and that's how they live. That's, that occupies their entire day, their whole life. They have to hunt and they have to gather so that they can live and eat. Look at how fortunate we are to have farmers who plant crops and harvest them and we can go to the store and buy what we need. What a blessing that is. I mean, just think, nobody here, how many of you, you pluck chickens? You got one guy that plucks chickens. You do it too, Dale? Is that a smelly job? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, plucking chickens. I always thought that that water didn't smell too good after they got done with them. <laughs> but anyhow, it's interesting how the new world needed food and his techniques and practices paved the way into the future, into our future today. Matthew 24, 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, Way back then, as they were back then, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The same things that they practiced back then, and it even takes it down to the point where that they were marrying and given in marriage, and they were working in the, in the uh, mills to grind their food and so on and so forth. Excuse me, or in the fields, I don't know where the hiccups came from. But all of that just talks about the same things as what we do today. And uh, how interesting it is. From, time, from the time of Noah, there is a direct and concise linkage with the coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We know that because we can look back with what the Scripture says and see that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a connection. 
that as long as we have these four seasons that we're dealing with, we're going to continue on like that until the Lord returns. Third, we need to observe the life of Abraham, the man of faith. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, Jehovah God said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So shall, uh, uh, rather, you shall be a blessing. I will, ma- I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, In you, all the families, did you get that? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you realize that that's what the cross did for the world? It brought the blessing of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the fore so that others throughout the world, every kindred, tongue, and tribe, would know the blessing of Jesus Christ and his redemption. Wow. You could preach all day on just the the fact of our mission to the world from that one spot. It's just amazing. The call of Abraham. This portion of scripture is referred to as the calling, quote, calling of Abraham. He was living in a place and at a time when those around him were pagan in their beliefs. It seems from the testimony of scripture that Terah and Haran were aware of the Hebrew god Jehovah. But they practiced idol worship as well. So even though they had a sense of knowing about the Hebrew god Jehovah, yet they practiced idol worship. And it's interesting that these men, even though they had some idea of Jehovah God as their Lord, as their God, yet they continued to practice what they could see, what they could handle, and what they could observe. And they couldn't see Jehovah God who was in the heavens. That was the problem with almost all of those who were pagan. They wanted a God that they could hang on to. They wanted something they could hold in their hand. And so we see that the, the purposes of Scripture are fulfilled in the fact that idol and uh, worship is that kind of a uh, religious practice. And we have more people today who are idol worshipers than you may think. It may be an idol worship, not of a statue or a fetish. It may not be of a golden idol of some kind, but it may be uh, you're worshiping an idol of a god of your imagination. It's not the god of the scriptures. It's a god that you produce. Well, my god would never do this. Really? Who is your god? As compared to what the scripture says, who is your god? And so it becomes very important that we have that right understanding of what and who God is. Now, we find in the scriptures that uh, this testimony 
of uh, the Hebrew God is uh, uh, stated for us in Joshua 24, 2 and 3. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says Jehovah God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, the Euphrates River, uh, in old times, and they served other gods. They served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Isaac, of course, was Abraham's only true son, his promised son. And so it is the seed of Messiah or of Christ. So goes the story of Abraham and Sarah, two great and wonderful saints of God. In the story of their lives, we have a man and a woman of God who believed the promises of Jehovah to them, that the Almighty would grow and prosper their heritage in the future to be a blessing upon all of the redeemed and mankind in general. Abraham believed God. That's stated time and time again. And because of it, God counted his belief, his faith, as his righteousness. Do we have the same belief faith, believing faith, as Abraham and Sarah once demonstrated in the concept and birth of their son, Isaac? In Isaac was Christ's seed promised. Number two, finding hope in a hopeless world. The question must be asked and then answered, are we eternally tied to the things of this world or did Jesus Christ die on Calvary to liberate us, to free us from the weakness of the flesh and to elevate us in our nature and conduct above this world? See, I think that there's there's got to be that juxtaposition that we present to ourselves. Has God brought us into this world just to live for us? Or has he brought us into this world so that we might live and serve him? I think it's self-explanatory for the most part. Beloved, how we hope, live, and serve God is the only true witness of our faith in Jehovah God who is the eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. We must learn to be overcomers of Satan's ploys, plans, and plots. Two, we must believe and trust the promises of God as found in his word. Three, we must live above the fears and distractions of life with a spiritual eye on Christ and his promises to us. Four, we must overcome the world and the world system with our faith. Five, we must live with a godly heart, a godly hope, and a godly desire for eternity. Not just for a while while we're here, but for eternity. Revelation 22:20. 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Six, we must live as if what we do and say 
has eternal purposes. Do you think that way? What I do and what I say has an eternal purpose. We must live a purpose-driven and purpose-centered life in Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, uh, this concept is kind of stole by uh, some of the more modern Christian writers of our day, and I don't think they really understand what it's saying, but anyhow, I, I hope that I do. I want you to understand today that our life is hid in Jesus Christ and that it has eternal purposes. We have to be made aware of it before we begin to look for it. We have to be made aware of it before we can truly serve Christ with our life and with our mind and our heart so that we serve him properly. And I think that uh, in reality, uh, the old uh, Christian missionary, Nate Saint, uh, I believe wrote these words, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And there's a lot of thought in that sentence, isn't there? Uh, it's a good statement. He was a missionary that died for his faith. Let us not take lightly the sure promises of Christ's return from glory. It is about time that we awoke out of our lethargy and began to pray and live with an, an eternal eye on the sky, for our redemption draws nigh. Hear the words of Christ to the saints in Luke 21, 11 through 19. Now you hear that? These are the words of Christ to you and I as God's children. Doesn't matter whether they were in the time of the apostles or whether it's you and I living today. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence and there will be fearful signs and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. I think most of us would just fall in a pile at the bottom of the uh, prison cell and cry and weep and say, Lord, why me? Why, why do I have to suffer like this? The reality is he's called us to it. Did you hear me? He's called us to that purpose. Are you awake yet? <laughs> Do you realize what it's saying? Wow. Verse 14, therefore, settle, in, uh, settle it in your hearts not to meditate before on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls." 
In closing today, notice that the word patience in this text that I've just read, uh, as it is very important to our understanding of what Christ is saying here. This word in the Greek language is hupamane, hupamane, which means to be cheerful and hopeful in our endurance. Boy, not a good word to put there when he's talking about you're going to die. <laughs> but yet that's why we need it. That's why we need to understand that he says, let your patience possess your souls. That's the kind of soul we need to have. It also deals with perseverance and constancy. Constancy is an old English term. It just means that you are the same all the time, that you are constant, that you live constantly as a child of God should live. <clears throat> this view of the future, beloved, is God's will for our lives. Yes, some will die for the faith. And yes, many will be hated for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel message of salvation by grace. But as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so states, not a hair of your head shall be lost. Are you challenged to live like Queen Esther? Are you challenged that you might understand your purposes for today as being for such a time as this? You have been placed here, here today by the Lord. I pray that God would use his word today to be an encouragement to your heart. We need to live for Christ. Paul said, for me to live for Christ is to gain and to die, or rather, and to die is to gain. Uh, we need that kind of mentality. We need that kind of hope in our own lives each day. This is not a new doctrine, but it's something that seems to be quite strange among his people, that we would think in terms of uh, us being saved for a purpose that is not about us, but the purpose is about him. Let's pray. Father, how we pray thy blessing on your word this day. How we ask, Lord, that you would take us during this time, this week, and allow us, Lord, to contemplate and to think and consider uh, those things that you have brought upon us, that they are not accidental, but they are purposed. Help us, Lord, to see that if, whether we are one or two or whether we are thousands, that you are with us. Give us grace, Lord, that we might learn to live at a time in history when the world does not want to know the truth of who you are or what your word proclaims. Help us, Lord, that we would not just agree with it, but that we would desire it for our own selves, that we would want your word to have impact on our soul and heart and mind. And we'll give you all the praise, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing. Um, last song in the hymnal is 417. Shall we stand? I hope I got enough left in me to sing one more song. Oh, that's a good song, sister.
No one understands like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He is waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus. When the days are dark and grim, no one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on Him. No one understands like Jesus. Every woe He sees and feels. Tenderly he whispers comfort, and the broken heart he seals. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. No one understands like Jesus when the foes of life assail. You should never be discouraged. Jesus cares and will not fail. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. No one understands like Jesus when you falter on the way. Though you fail him and sadly fail him, he will pardon you today. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so as Jesus, cast your every care on him. Amen. Brother Doug, would you close our service in prayer? Our Lord, thank you for your word, for the promises it holds. Yes. Thank you for our brother who's brought the word to us. I pray, Lord, that we can take these words into our lives, that we would be more like Jesus and that we would live for him and like him. We think again of our family, the church family here in the hurry. We ask the Lord that you comfort the little family. We anticipate a difficult and emotional afternoon and tomorrow, but Lord, through it all, there's joy. Joy that you've promised to take yours under yourself. Amen.
but it says we go our way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.